thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. Let's look to the scriptures this morning at Acts chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses uh, 26 through uh, 31, verses 26 through uh, 31. And we're going to speak about this morning stewarding friendships for the gospel, uh, stewarding our friendships for the sake of the gospel. Verse 26, when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. Uh, Saul, at this point, as we know him, Saul, Paul, verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your presence and your grace here this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would guide us and lead us in your word and in your truth, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would open the scriptures to us and speak to us, Lord, not only about our own selves, but also about our relationships and specifically our relationships with people in this room. God, that you would help us to be faithful brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we thank you today for your goodness and for your presence among us, Lord. And we just ask you, God, to guide us by the precious, precious Holy Spirit. And we thank you for these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as we think about uh, the texts this morning, uh, just kind of some background material, some introductory material to kind of recap uh, where we have been. The Apostle Paul, uh, he was actually converted by Jesus on the way to Damascus. In that experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, he lost his physical uh, sight, but he gained his spiritual sight. Uh, he lost something in the natural realm, but he gained that uh, spiritual sight uh, in the spiritual realm. And so he went on to Damascus, was led on uh, into Damascus. Again, he was on his way from Jerusalem into uh, Damascus, and his disciples led him on after that experience with Jesus, and a man named Ananias met him in Damascus. God spoke to Ananias and said, I want you to pray over this guy that he would regain his sight. Uh, Paul regained his sight. He was baptized. 
baptized, and he immediately began uh, preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is salvation in no other name uh, but Jesus, that all who call upon the name of Jesus uh, shall be saved. And as he was uh, in Damascus preaching the gospel, Uh, His life came under threat almost immediately, and he was let down in a basket. We talked about that last week over the city wall. Now, if you kind of read some of Paul's letters later on, Galatians chapter 1 tells us that Paul went into uh, Arabia, then he came back to Damascus, and then three years later, he moved into Jerusalem or went to Jerusalem. And so this timeline, this this period of Paul going to Arabia, coming back to Damascus, and then going into Jerusalem, this timeline is sort of compressed in Paul's retelling in uh, three verses, Acts 9, 23 through 26. So Luke kind of compresses it down for the purpose of his retelling of the story. But in Galatians chapter 1, Paul sort of expands that uh, a little more to tell us more details of what was going on. This is why we have to read the whole Bible. Because you get all of the picture of what is happening when you read through the Gospels and you read through uh, Acts and you read through the Epistles. What you get then is a full picture of what was going on. We get bits and pieces that we can then put together and see what was happening. So while Paul was in Damascus, he needed a friend, and God gave him Ananias. And when he went to Jerusalem, he also needed a friend there, and God gave him Barnabas. Uh, We're reintroduced to Barnabas here in chapter 9. We first meet him in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. We're told that he was of the tribe of Levi. He was born in Cyprus. Now, if he was a true Levite, he wouldn't have owned land because land was not apportioned uh, to uh, the Levites, but they had gotten away from uh, following many of the laws of the Lord by this time. And so Barnabas, in fact, did own a tract of land, and the Bible says uh, that he sold it in order to benefit the new church. So we find that he was most likely a person of means. He was a generous person. Acts 12 tells us that he was a cousin to John Mark, whose mother uh, had a home in which lots of ministry took place out of in uh, Jerusalem. Acts 11 tells us that Barnabas was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit. He was trusted by the apostles to go inspect and see what was going on in moves of God that were happening outside of Jerusalem, and he was the missionary companion of the apostle Paul. So we see Barnabas's story sort of unfolding throughout the book of Acts and how important a person he was in many places. And uh, we meet him again in Acts chapter 4, but here in Acts chapter 9, we see Barnabas working again. And what we see in Barnabas here is one of the most critical moments really for the gospel. Paul was trying to engage the disciples in Jerusalem, and they didn't want anything to do with him. They had heard about him. They understood he was persecuting believers. And like many of us would, if someone came in who was persecuting us, we might think, what's he doing here? I'm not going to be friends with him. I'm not going to talk to him, but there had been this radical change in Paul's life, and Paul needed someone to kind of bridge the gap. And that's what friendships in the gospel do. They create bridges for the purpose of advancing the kingdom. So again, between Paul, our reading about Paul in Damascus and now being in Jerusalem, there was a period of about three years, which is pretty interesting 
that this is not happening kind of back to back to back to back. So it's not kind of like a quick transition like we might see in a movie or something like that where we kind of see these fast-paced moves. In fact, what was happening sort of behind the scenes is Paul had been preaching and teaching in Damascus up in Arabia back to Damascus, and word would have certainly spread in three years' time into Jerusalem, but he still wasn't accepted or fully accepted by the apostles. They didn't believe in his his conversion. And so again, Barnabas, who we also know as Joseph, Barnabas was actually his nickname. Uh, and so when you get a nickname, it, uh, it kind of connotates sort of who you are in many ways. And Barnabas means son of encouragement or the one who encourages. His real name was Joseph, but everyone called him the son of encouragement because that's what he did. That's who he was, was an encourager. And so Paul needed a friendship, and he found it in Barnabas that was a bridge builder for the kingdom. Paul was unable to carry his own testimony to the apostles. Someone else needed to do it for him, and Barnabas opened the door for Paul's ministry to expand in an even greater way than what it otherwise would. And we see in Barnabas someone who is an example of who's, someone who sees potential in others and makes use of that for the purpose of the kingdom. See, so you and I and our role within the church, we ought to be praying and thinking about others who come in. Oftentimes, particularly from behind the pulpit, so not necessarily in the pew, but from when at times people behind the pulpit will begin to point fingers and say, oh, so-and-so is not involved, or why aren't you more involved? Why aren't the people more involved? Well, sometimes there needs to be someone who bridges the gap between people who come in and the involvement that impacts the kingdom later on. And you and I have to pray and to think about how God is using us at times, not just for the advancement of our own self and our role and our purpose, but how is God using us to scope out, to see other people in order to be a bridge builder for them, in order to help them move to the place where God has called them to be. Barnabas is an example of that, someone who sees potential in other people. Paul's conversion was of utmost importance, particularly, in, again, in Luke's retelling of the story here in Acts. It is very important. He retells it three different times in Acts, but his, Paul's introduction and affirmation by the apostles was critical for the gospel in order to go out to the Gentiles. This was a critical moment, and Barnabas' friendship with Paul allowed the gospel to be boldly proclaimed in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ultimately at the end of Paul's life to what was the end of the known world. So God has called us together as a body of believers, has he not? He's called us in a room, in this room, uh, to be together. In the New Testament, we see these gatherings all the time, people who would gather in people's houses. And it wasn't just one family that would gather, although there certainly was sort of gatherings around the word of the Lord in the home with the family that was there. But there were larger gatherings that would traditionally gather in homes or other places that they would uh, find. And that was for the mutual upbuilding, the encouragement of 
one another. And if you and I look around this room, God has placed us in this room for a time such as this, for the time in which we live. And you've heard me say before that all, we often get nostalgic and we think about times that have already passed. Uh, we think about, I'd like to live in, you know, the 1800s or the 1700s or the 1600s. Now, I wouldn't like to live there because I like electricity. I like air conditioning. I like indoor plumbing. You know, it's a beautiful time to live in human history. And God has placed us in this time period in which to live that we will be effective for the kingdom and effective for the gospel. And so you and I have to look around this room and people that God has placed us in relationship with and think about how can we be a bridge builder for someone here. We can talk about the kingdom in a broad sort of way, but where the rubber meets the road is the people in this room. People who bear the image of God, people who we have interactions with, we have to be responsible for one another to help one another fulfill our kingdom purposes in Christ. See, Barnabas was more concerned about gospel promotion than he was about self-promotion. Consistently throughout his life, what we see is someone who is advocating and helping others advance their calling. And we see consistently in Scripture that this is part of the church, that there is a togetherness that characterizes the church. They were together, people, not just a universal church, but people in a local fellowship were gathered in the upper room, about 120, gathered, praying, seeking, people whose faces, they saw one another, they interacted with one another, they ate together, they fellowshiped together. In Acts 2 and 37, we see the church was together. In Acts 3, it was Peter and John doing work together. In Acts 4, Peter and John were arrested together. In Acts 4 and 32, the congregation of the people were together There's a reason we have to be together, and the Bible says in Hebrews that don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, because God is concerned about the gospel moving forward, the gospel advancing, the gospel being preached, and that begins here. Missionaries don't go to foreign fields with just kind of sitting around and thinking about it. Almost everyone I would think who has ever been a missionary on a foreign field had someone to encourage them. I think I've told this story before, but as a young man thinking and praying about a calling to vocational ministry at the age of 14 or 15 years old, the first person I went to was my pastor in a local assembly of believers. And I talked to my pastor about it, and one of the things that he said to me was, well, if God's calling you, you need to get your feet wet. And within a few weeks, I was preaching a sermon. (laughs) As nervous as I don't know what, legs shaking, I don't even remember what it was, and I feel sorry for the people who had to hear it. (laughs) And he opened the doors an opportunity for me to be able to baptize people or be able to offer communion. It was a getting my feet wet along with painting in the church. I remember in this 
and, and this environment, we, it was a new church. That was a church plant. When I thought about it, I didn't even think of it as a church plant. Then we didn't talk about it in those terms. We just, uh, he, he was from another area, came to the area, started a church. My family knew him. We started attending, and there was a Baptist church who had built a new church, and this church uh, got the old uh, Baptist church, and the old Baptist church was beautiful inside, and but it needed painting and freshening up. The roof had kind of caved in on the second, the roof hadn't caved in, but it had leaked and caused the ceiling to kind of cave in on the second floor. And so it was a lot of work that uh, needed to happen. And then one of the initiations that I had, the church work was uh, painting. And this pastor, he was a good man. He was a, you know, uh, a bigger guy. Uh, probably at this point, uh, I was maybe 15, 16 years old. He probably was in his mid to late uh, 60s, and I remember him on a long extension ladder in uh, the overflow area of uh, the sanctuary in order to paint because it was one with cathedral ceilings in the building. And uh, the ladder was on a wood floor, and the ladder slipped out from under him while he was painting, and he fell. Paint can uh, uh, busted his head, uh, crushed his ankle. And uh, I remember that experience of a pastor laying on the floor covered in paint and bleeding. And he went to the hospital, and he got, uh, I don't remember all the details of that, but he got uh, fixed up, and from that point on, continued to walk with a cane the rest of his life. I don't ever remember him complaining. I don't ever remember him talking about, why did I have to be the one up on the ladder? But I do remember him leading the way and helping me to see what it meant to be a pastor, which is more than behind the pulpit. It's about taking a young guy under your wings and helping him to see the way a little more fully, even through pain and sorrow and difficulty and agony, persevering, going through, continuing to fulfill the gospel. Someone who is a bridge builder from where we are to where we need to be. So you and I have a responsibility for that with the people in this room. We have to look around and we have to see, how can I be a bridge builder with someone in this room? Woe to us if someone who is in this room senses God doing something or desires to do something for the Lord but feels like they can't because there's not a path forward or there's not an opportunity. I'm just sitting here and I can't do something for Jesus because there's no opportunity. Woe to us. These are people in this room who have real feelings, who are created in Christ's image, who Jesus cares for and Jesus dies for. And you and I have a responsibility to think more highly of them even than ourselves. How can we help someone else to fulfill all that they are destined to do in Christ? And when you do that, it brings such a joy, such an opportunity to see someone else doing something for Jesus. So how do you create these gospel friendships? Again, Barnabas was the son of encouragement, so he had to be a friendly guy. He wouldn't have been a grumpy guy. He wouldn't have been the son of the grumpy guy. That wasn't his nickname. His nickname was the son of encouragement. So he had an opportunity to be friendly. You and I have to be friendly. We have to show friendship with other people. Barnabas, he was generous. He was all in with the church, and he gave to help make it happen. He was willing to take a risk on Paul. He was willing to see Paul's life before and see what God had done in Paul and help push Paul forward in what he saw in Paul, something special, something unique, a calling. And that requires us to be discerning what is God doing in other people. Barnabas seemed to understand the needs for others. 
how to help, how to be an encouragement. And I would ask each one of us today, how can we open the door for someone else in order to benefit the kingdom? How can we open the door for someone else in order to benefit the kingdom? Friendships in the kingdom can be bridge builders for the sake of the gospel. What we also see with the Apostle Paul in this particular passage that his friendships, it was his friendships that protected him. The Bible tells us here in the latter part of our text in verse 29 that he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. Now, Paul was doing what Paul often did. He was arguing. He knew how to defend the gospel. He knew how to be an apologist for the gospel. But he still needed the love and counsel and protection of the church. He was arguing with the Hellenists. These were Greek-speaking Jews. These were the same people that stoned Stephen a few chapters uh, earlier. Paul was essentially part of this group as he stood uh, at the cloaks of those who were stoning Stephen. (coughs) And now this same group is attempting to put Paul to death. And when the brethren, the church, those who Paul was in relationship with, learned what was happening, they didn't want the same thing that happened to Stephen to happen to Paul. They didn't want the same experience that Stephen had and and what was considered a loss Even though Stephen inherited eternal glory, they didn't want that same thing to happen to Paul. Notice it wasn't Paul who said, these guys are trying to kill me. I better get out of town. It was the brethren who looked at what Paul was doing, who looked at the influence and the opportunity that the apostle Paul had, who saw the gifting of the apostle Paul and said, Paul, right now, you are a, a treasure for the church and for the gospel. And we can't allow you to continue doing this. We actually have to remove you out from this situation and circumstance. And so they take him out and they take him to Caesarea and they set him off. Uh, to go to Tarsus. And Paul remains in Tarsus until Acts chapter 11 and verse 25, when Barnabas is the one who goes back and gets Saul and brings him to Antioch to say, hey, see what God is doing in Antioch. See this great move of the gospel in Antioch. Paul, I think you have something to say here. And they stayed there a year in order for Paul to be able to minister again. Barnabas building the bridge, even while the brethren had removed Paul out of a threat threatening situation. We need people who are watching over the work of the Lord and those who are called to steward it. We need people within the congregation who are continually praying and watching over the work of the Lord that is happening here and are watching over those who are called to steward it in order to protect them sometimes from those who would seek to do harm or bring destruction. Gospel people, people who are centered in the gospel, have to be watchful for those who are serving in leadership roles in the kingdom. I do not know everything that's going on. I know my own personal gifting, and there are some, I think, who stand behind the pulpit who think they have all the gifting. 
but it's not here. And God has equipped and God has gifted in some ways, a measure of some ways, but God has equipped and gifted and called you as well. And this is why this has to be a system that works together. Together. Protecting and caring. One of uh, the responsibility of the ministry team for Riverstone is to protect and care for the flock, but the flock also has to pray and protect and care for those who are serving on the ministry team. Sometimes we kind of get focused towards a, a, a plan or a mission or something that's going on. You kind of get focused and someone needs to say, hey, back off. Sometimes someone needs to say, hey, take a rest. You know, we, we see Paul's personality sort of unfolding both in the book of Acts and throughout the epistles, and Paul was. Paul was a go get them kind of guy. He was a guy who was intense about the gospel, and if you did something wrong, he did not mind kind of telling you to your face. We see it with Simon Peter. We see it even later in this kind of division that happens with Barnabas. Paul doesn't want to take John Mark, who is Barnabas's cousin. He says, hey, he deserted us before. I'm not going to manage that. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to go on. And the Bible says it was a sharp disagreement between them. Paul was kind of this guy that was so intent and focused on the mission, but even here in the beginning, we see there are brethren who have to cover him and say, Paul, you got to remove yourself out of this situation for the sake of the gospel. Leadership is godly and right. We see it in the book of Acts, that there is a leadership structure that is forming, that is, is in both the local church. The apostle Paul says, hey, I, uh, to Timothy, I want you to set up elders and leaders in these churches. We see it here in Jerusalem, that there was kind of this leadership structure, but there's also a recognition that those in leadership don't have all the answers. And there is a responsibility for uh, care and discernment within the fellowship. In fact, I believe that one of the greatest needs that we have in the church today is that of discernment, praying for discernment of what God is doing and what God is doing in a specific people. The church saw the need to protect one of its leaders they actually removed him to a place of safety. See, we have to entrust ourselves to those who we are in fellowship with, the local body of believers. The local body of believers helps keep watch over us. And one of the values of the local church is to protect the gospel. And we protect the gospel by stewarding all of the resources as well as we can for maximum kingdom impact. You see, when we talk about stewardship, we often think in, uh, in terms of the resources that we bear in our, in our wallet. It's only dollar bills in there. <laughs> but we think of the resources that we bear, and, and again, I worked at a bank one time. This is, this is paper. It, it obviously represents something. But ultimately, this is, this is just a special kind of paper produced in New England that they uh, print green stamps on, and people try to counterfeit it every day. You know, people also try to counterfeit their Christianity, too. Interesting. And you know, I did. I worked as a bank teller in seminary. And what's interesting, what, 
what will happen is counterfeiters, they know this money, this paper is important. If you actually were to take tweezers and your dollar bills, uh, you can see red and blue uh, specks of thread in them. You can actually take tweezers and pull those threads out. And a counterfeiter, if they can't get a hold of this, what they'll do is they'll actually put uh, small little red and blue lines in the paper in order to try to fake someone out. But someone who counts money, when you're counting it, you don't even have to look at it. You feel it. You can feel it, the counterfeit, if it's not on this paper. So they get even smarter, and they'll bleach dollar bills out and put 20s on them. Counterfeits in the kingdom get smart too. It's a lot of people who know how to be believers, but what they're concerned about is their own kingdom. Building their own kingdom and not God's kingdom. Building their own following and not pointing a following to God. And you can point that out by what someone is concerned about. Are they concerned about promoting themselves? Are they concerned about promoting others? You and I must be about others. And I can't say enough pastorally to you. Maybe this isn't a jumping, shouting, speaking in tongues kind of sermon, but I can't say enough to you about looking around this room and caring for the people who you're in fellowship with. Offering love, kindness, and care, being there. Sometimes you have to be in someone's face. Did you know that? There are some times when someone begins to kind of step off and we have to actually get in their face and say, hey, I'm not allowing this. I care for you too much. I'm not allowing this. If I were to begin to step away, I would pray that someone in this congregation would say to me, I'm not allowing you to do this. I'm not allowing you to go down this path. I'm going to step in and I'm going to help. Because there's more to the local church than just a Sunday morning attendance. As the assembly of God, we have a responsibility to one another. And so the question comes, are we watching over our brothers and sisters? Who's someone here this morning that we can pray about offering gospel care to? Who is someone who's in this room this morning that you can look around and see their face and say, I'm going to pray that God would help me to offer gospel care to this specific person? That's what it means to be in fellowship with one another. We recognize God's image being born in people, and we care for that image. We love that image. We want to see God working in that person. And what we ultimately see is that as we love one another, care for one another, build bridges for one another, that those friendships bring peace in the kingdom. Because of the wisdom of Barnabas and the local church brethren, we see in Acts 9 and 31 that the local church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, they enjoyed peace. They were built up. They continued in the fear of the Lord. They were comforted by the Holy Spirit, and their numbers continued to increase. All by removing Paul out, introducing him to those in Jerusalem and saying, Paul, you need to come out for a little while. And it brought peace, and it built the church up. They continued in fear of the Lord. They were comforted by the Holy Spirit. And both in uh, numerical numbers and in spiritual maturity, they continued to increase. And then we see later on the effectiveness of the Apostle Paul's ministry in the kingdom. 
There is not one of us here today who has not been impacted by the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And I would say it goes all the way back to the ministry of Barnabas and the brethren in the local church to care for him at moments of critical need. So who can you and I care for in this place that maybe a hundred years down the road, should the Lord tarry, that they would be impacting people on the level that the Apostle Paul was impacting people? Did Barnabas realize what he was doing at the time? Did the church realize what it was doing at the time? Or was the church doing what was necessary, what they felt the Lord was leading them to? Were they discerning? Growth in numbers and the godliness of believers resulted from the work of the Holy Spirit, enabling leaders and people to minister to each other and live in a way that expressed the fear of God rather than the fear of their persecutors. We have to be prayerful and watchful over what God has entrusted to us. I did something that I'm not sure that I... I can't say for certain I won't come to regret it. I hope I don't come to uh, regret it. Uh, But a few days ago, I bought a puppy. (laughs) And I told my children my responsibility is to uh, help finance this thing. And your responsibility is to care for it. Although I enjoy caring for it too. He's he's fun so far. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But Sophia and Elijah both, they have specific responsibility and they're to kind of help the other kids. And Elijah told me a day or so ago, he said, it's, it's different today taking care of him than it was when we first got him. <laughs> Why? Because it becomes that routine. You know, when you first get the puppy and you're playing with the puppy and he's all cuddly and fun and nice, but somebody, that has been me so far, getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning to go take the dog out and to teach him that, you know, what you're doing, you've got to do outside the camp. You can't do it inside the camp. You've got to do it outside the camp. <laughs> and so I'm trying to train this animal to that. And there is a newness that wears off. We're In Riverstone Church, we're over a year into this thing. And I can tell you that in the beginning back, you know, last uh, December, December before last and January and February, as people were praying and gathering in uh, the home and praying and seeking the Lord, and as God began to put things together, there was excitement, there was a freshness, there was a desire to persevere through. And one of the things that I've kept thinking in my mind is we're still a young church. We're still a new church. We're still trying to put flesh on this, but we can't let it get old. We can't just say, oh, this is what it is, and this is how it's going to be. This is still a new church, and we've got responsibility to it. You and I have responsibility to it. You and I have to put an effort towards praying for this thing and laboring after this thing and asking God to bless this thing. We can't get comfortable. I can't get comfortable in my own responsibilities. We have to be engaged in the ministry of prayer and care and helping because God wants to do a work. When we began preaching, I remember the days when we kind of went online and we were up at Northridge Church and we would film. And I remember the passion to say, God's doing something in Charlottesville. God's moving in Charlottesville. And we would pray, God, we believe you're doing revival. Started here. How long has it been since we prayed that? 
I don't want that freshness to wear off. I don't want that desire to wear off from us as a local body of believers. God has put us together to do the hard labor of praying and seeking him and earnestly driving this thing forward for the glory of the kingdom. We have a responsibility to play. We can't be like it is when you have a puppy four, five, six weeks down the road and I am sick of this thing. You're here this morning because God's called you to play a part. I can't emphasize that enough. I want to be a bridge builder. That's what I want to be. I want to be a bridge builder from your calling and your gifting to the kingdom. And I will tell you, I wrestle with it because there's some of you who are called to pastoral ministry. I believe that. And I wrestle with this in the thought that I'm the one who's most often by the pu- behind the pulpit, but there's enough people here who can carry the word and who need experience behind the pulpit. Where do we give those opportunities? Where do we give the opportunities for the Robert McCready's who are 14 and 15 years old, who's shaken behind the sacred desk and doesn't really know what to do, but it's an opportunity that need to be had at that moment. Where do we give those opportunities? Are we as a congregation willing to allow those opportunities and not get into professional church, but get into the real thing where the rubber meets the road? This is one of the reasons why you hear us talking about extra services. I will tell you exactly. That's one of the reasons why you hear us talking about services on Saturday or services in other other places. Be praying about, pray about Crozet, pray about Gordonsville, pray about some of these other places where we might be able to establish churches that we can then help to train and equip people who are called to these ministries give more opportunity for people to share and to preach and to teach the gospel. We have to expand the opportunities here, and you and I have to be comfortable with that as a congregation. There's got to be times when there are people in the pulpit who are different, who may not have it just as polished, who may not, I'm not saying I'm polished, I'm just saying they may not be perfect in all these other ways of kind of trying to put it together, but it's going to be a learning experience, and are we willing to walk through a learning experience with someone? And are we willing to give praise to be the son of encouragement? to someone to be a bridge builder in order to help them achieve all that God has for them. I think we have to be that type of church. We can't be the same old church that try to professionalize everything. I don't want to be a professional pastor. I don't want to be a professional preacher. I want to be a guy who's living it out with Jesus day by day by day for his glory. I don't want us to be a professional church with the smoke and the lights and all those things. And I'm not saying those things are bad. I realize we got to have that for video and other things. But I don't want it to be so professional that something's out of sorts. We get upset and we walk away. Somebody's learning. What I'm so excited about is... At the beginning of second service, someone is going to be baptized, and the person who discipled them the most is going to be helping me to baptize them. The person who's had the most influence in their spiritual life is going to be standing beside me in order to help baptize this individual. And I'm not going to tell you who it is, but I believe she's a 74-year-old grandma. Praise the Lord. Let's ask her. Afterwards, how many people have you baptized in your 74 years? But we've got to be a church that recognizes and sees the gifting and calling of other people and says, hey, we're going to help. We're going to provide opportunity. We're going to provide resources. We're going to help you to fulfill all that God has for you in the kingdom. Stand with me.
I want you to pray for a couple things. I want you to pray uh, that God would help us, that if, if we've lost it, to recapture the urgency of a new church. To recapture the urgency of a new church. I also want you to intercede that as we continue service in the second service, that there will be just a move of the Spirit, that if there is anyone here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will come to saving faith in Jesus. So two, two requests that we're going to pray together as a body this morning. We're going to pray for a refreshing of the urgency of the local church. We're also going to pray for the power of God to move upon his people in salvation today. Today. We're praying for that today. So I'm going to invite you, brother, where you are. Maybe you're going, you'll come and you'll take some time and kneel here at the altar. Again, what I believe about the altar is it is a step of faith to say, I'm committing to do this. I'm committing to pray for my church. I'm committing to pray for salvations. I'm committing to pray for the work of the gospel. If you feel comfortable coming and kneeling here at the altar and seeking the Lord in that way and taking that step of faith to say, I'm willing to do this. I'm going to invite you to come. If you're more comfortable standing where you are, that's certainly is fine. God hears your prayers there as well. But we want to take some moments here and exalt the Lord and pray and seek him earnestly for these things, that we would be a church that has urgency about the gospel, that doesn't lose that urgency, and that today, today, there would be those who would come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of His promises and plans for your life.